0: Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. As we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends
1: from the world of professional sports.
0: On this special two-part episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with former MLB General Manager and current MLB Network Analyst, John Hart.
1: All right, let's do this. And now, here's Here's your your host, Brett Boone. Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program... We welcome a former general manager of the Cleveland Indians and the Texas Rangers. He was the president of baseball operations for the Atlanta Braves, and he's currently an analyst for MLB Network. Ladies and gentlemen, John Hart. Johnny, thanks for coming on the program.
0: Brett, it's good to be here. Uh, I'm actually uh, down here in Florida. I'm looking out over the golf course where I saw you, you know, just routinely crank out 320-yard drives. And I was sort of always hitting first when we played, but, you know, bringing back a few memories. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, my the, the drives are still the same, Johnny, but it's the same problems. It's left. It's right. Keep it in the middle. Yeah,
0: well, I'll tell you what. I, I always knew that, you know, when it got down to it, you would always say, you know, I can drive it big. I'm not afraid to lay a few more dollars out when it gets late in the match. And, you know, sometimes that short game just kind of disappeared. And, you know, there it was. You were never afraid, though. I know that. Never
1: afraid. <laughs> All right. Billy Bean works out during the game. Jerry West walks around the arena. Take me inside the box with John Hart when you're at the helm, when you're, when, when you're the GM of a ball club, take me into that box with you during the game. What do you do?
0: Yeah. You know, I'm a, uh, I, I, I I pay attention, watch the game. Um, you know, again, I, you know, I, I come from a field background. I I've got a little different, maybe a little different view of, um, uh, you know, of what I'm looking for, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's, Uh, it's, it's kind of simple that, you know, once you're up there in the box, you're evaluating, you know, your team, you're pulling for your team to win. You're observing the managerial decisions. You're, you know, looking at your opponent. Um, you know, there's going to be phone calls, uh, from your minor league people that are going to be, you know, different things go on within the organization. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a mover, I'm up, I'm moving around. Um, you know, every now and then you're going to pick up the phone, um, you know, talk to an owner or talk to your owner. You might be working on a deal, but, you know, at the end of it, you're living and dying from seven to 10 with how the club does. And, you know, you know that you're making your plans. There's an injury. Something happens. You're on the phone. You've got uh, you're looking at your postgame meeting with your your skipper, um, you know, players you might want to talk to. It's you know, it's it's pretty constant um, you know, back and forth. But, you know, for me, I'd, you know, I mean, I would usually have a couple of, you know, kind of an open box for the people in baseball ops. Um, you know, I might have, you know, a couple of interns in there. I might have my assistant, I might have, uh, my wife, you might have some family coming in. I mean, it was a pretty wide open, uh, sort of box. We weren't really just, you know, like, you know, confined to maybe, a you know, you're sitting down and you don't let anybody around. I mean, we were, we were pretty wide open. Um, I liked people to talk to. I like to be able to have, you know, conversation, you know, be able to, you know, get other people's opinions on what they're seeing. Um, you know, just, um, you know, it's showtime, but, you know, plus you know, I, am I've been in the game, um, my whole life and, you know, I love the game and you just, you know, some of my best nights were, you know, big wins and, you You're sitting up there, maybe doing a little review, waiting it out. You're, you know, the crowd's leaving the, you know, it's empty. You've got the grounds crew out there working on the infield grass and, you know, you just kind of, you know, saying a little prayer of thankful for, you know, being in such a great spot. Um, A lot of good times in that
1: box. It is amazing. Now you get, I get a chance to step away. You know, I'm a little old. We're all a little bit older now. But, but as yeah. a as a player, I look up at you as as my general manager. I'm thinking, oh, it must be nice. You're sitting up there. We're we're grinding, doing all this. But if you take a step back, and now i kind of on this side of the levee. I look at what being the general manager of a big league team entails. It, it there are so many nuances, and, and you mentioned a couple of them but just that it it's goes beyond the handshake and the, how you doing and, and the family's here. And you got a friend that drops by the, I mean, you've got not only that game, an injury that goes on during the game, you might have some minor league activity. You might have a minor league trade going on. You might have to get a kid from Tacoma to the, to Cleveland tomorrow. Well, Tacoma I'm using as an example, obviously that's just a, a minor league affiliate, uh, but there are so many different things that you've got your hands in but you've also representing the ball club got that smile on your face everything's great and meanwhile your team's getting their butt kicked and you got a meeting with the manager after the game so it's it's a little more complex than than people than meets the eye to to say from the public perspective
0: yeah, it, you know, it, it really is. And, you know, again, I'm, uh, as I mentioned, I, I come from a field background, you know, from playing and then coaching and, you know, farm to. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a field background. And, um, you know, you, you, you always sort of looked at the front office as they, um, you know, I, I tried to, you know, break that wall down real quick, because it is us, and you live and die with your club. Uh, but then you also, uh, in baseball, you've got six minor league clubs you've gotten a latin american affiliate you've got probably 30 amateur scouts probably 15 pro scouts um you know you've got staffing everywhere you've got 175 players in the minor leagues that are all important um you know you're following up on you know on all of that uh i mean it's constant. it was funny brett i was uh, when i was in cleveland uh wayne embry who was a huge. Um, Baseball fan was the uh, president um, and uh, GM, great ex-player Wayne Embry, but he was also there, the Cavaliers GM. And I remember Wayne sitting in the box. Uh, Bill Belichick would pop in. We'd have guys in there. But uh, Wayne uh, said, you know, he said, John, because he, he kind of watched what was going on. I'm on the phone. He said, let, let me ask you something. He said, so how many players do you have? I said, we got about 170 in the minors and 25 up here. He said, well, how many contracts do you do? I said, well, we do all the major league contracts. We've got people that do, how many staff? And so I kind of listed all the things and scouts. And he said, you know, he said, I, uh, there's no chance here. He said, I've got, I I have two rounds of the draft. We've got 12 players. We travel on a, you know, on a small airplane. Uh, I draft two rounds. I mean, he said, it's, it's unwieldy what a baseball front office, you know, what it entails, because you have you know, and obviously, you know, with, um, you know, they've sort of reduced the teams now, um, but you still, it's a, you know, it is a full organization. And, um, you know, it's, I mean, as you well know, when you're drafted and signed, you might be, everybody's all American out of USC. And the chances are you're probably going to start somewhere in low A or rookie ball. Um, And when you're in the NFL or the NBA, you, you know, you crank on the big uni and you go out in front of the big triple decker crowds and, off you go, and in baseball, you know it's uh, it's wide open. I mean, you know, some some of the best players come from the most unlikely sources. So, you know, you it's it's all about accumulating good talent and developing
1: them. It's funny when you when you go from sport to sport and how different baseball is from from any other major sport. Football, if you're bigger, stronger, faster, you will play in the NFL. Now, how good you're going to be, that's going to be up to the individual. But baseball, you're bigger, stronger, and faster. That's great. But if you can't hit a a ball, you're not going to see double A. And, and that's the difference I think that separates baseball from all the other major sports.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, you- Hundred percent, hundred percent on that. I think some, sometimes. I mean, I, I looked at, you know, one of the best players that I I had in Cleveland, Omar Vizquel, was, you know, I mean, he walks down the street. He's five nine, five ten, you know, one hundred seventy five pounds, and, you know, you're going man, this, you know, without this guy, you're not nearly as good a team. And any other sport, I don't know, maybe soccer, he might be doing so. He's not doing anything in basketball or or football. It's funny. That's
1: sure. right. That's right. All right, John Hart, born in Tampa, grew up in Winter Park uh went to winter park high school talk to me about young john hart i want to what was it like for you your childhood growing up sports did you play obviously baseball we'll get to that but just just give me an overview
0: yeah i mean listen i was the uh, quintessential you know 1950s kid that you know you played football in the fall basketball in the winter baseball in the spring and summer um you know all the way along i'm you know just played and played and played. I mean, I was constantly with the ball, um, you know, played high school, uh, didn't get drafted out of high school, uh, went to juke. uh, went to junior college I made the decision, you know, baseball was better for me. I had, a, I played a little basketball and baseball and, uh, in junior college, um, got drafted out of Duco and, uh, and signed. But, um, you know, for, you know, for me, I think growing up before I signed, it was, you know, I mean, I, listen my my heroes were baseball players. I wanted to be a player I wanted to be a great player. I loved the game uh, I learned to do math by computing batting averages i mean it was you know I was that sort of kid that just loved the game I had a glove with me all the time I slept in my uni um you know i was i was a i was a baseball player I'd go to school because you know it allowed me to play on the to play sports and you know, I wasn't like a really a driven student, but I was a I was just a driven, athletic, you know, hungry kid, you know, that wanted to make something out of himself. And um, you know, I went to JUCO, and I uh, had a couple great years there, made All-American. I thought I was going to be a star, and got drafted. And three years later, I'm you know out of a job, hadn't finished college, I was married. Um, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it work? And You know, so, you know, I kind of had a kind of a gap, um, you know, between pro ball uh, from the time I finished my playing career till I went back in as a minor league manager. And, you know, but I, I mean, I, I did, I coached, I mean, I went right into the next step. I started a little uh, baseball school called the John Hart Baseball School. I kind of ran it out of the back of a blue truck, you know, going around, you know, sort of city to city, league to league, you know, running camps. Uh, I coached junior high football, coached. High school, junior high, uh, baseball, coached high school baseball, uh, won a state championship, had some great players there, and you know, but it was just, it was strictly coaching. I mean, I coached it up, and you know, along the way, it's sort of like the Malcolm Gladwell, as I look back on it, you know, the outposts and the the time spent with these kids, you know, you're 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 making sort of your mark, you know, what kind of a leader are you? Um, You know, how do you motivate people? Um, You know, how do you be authentic in who you are? I mean, as a coach, that was always, uh, I think, an important thing to get the most out of kids. And, you know, so I I think a lot of the, you know, I mean, mine was a little different road to get back into pro ball than, say, the guy that just left pro ball and immediately went right into coaching. Um, I I sort of picked up a lot of different uh, sort of skill sets, and I think I enhanced Um, maybe my ability to communicate my ability to look at the game a little bit differently. And I think when I went back in um, and I got the chance to go back in at the, at the lowest level, um, which I was, you know, excited about, but it, um, you know, I thought I was, you know, I mean, I'd almost been like really coaching for 10 years. So I was really ready to hit the ground running. Um, You know, I sort of had a good grip on not just my position, um, but I had a pretty good grip because you would, and when you're teaching, you know, you got to teach in theaters and you got to teach out theaters and you got to, you know, know what, you know, how you're doing it. So I kind of had a pretty good grip on it. And, um, you know, then I got an opportunity to go to, uh, with Baltimore, uh, a guy by the name of Tom Giordano, a scout came in, looked at my team, watched me coach in high school and offered me a job. And, you know, then, you know, seven years later, eight years later, I'm, the interim manager of the, uh, uh at the, in the, at the major leagues. It's crazy how it, how it happened. But, you know, I, you know, I just sort of, uh, I had that gap and then jumped, uh, jumped right into, you know, just jumped right in, back into pro ball and right into the minor leagues, managed it, managed it all the way. Winter ball, you name the outpost, Johnny Hart's been there. <laughs>
1: And it's kind of a, it's a fascinating story. And and when I was when I was doing my homework for you, Johnny, and and you filled in some of those gaps for me. But it's so interesting to me the public perception and, and a pro ball player. You know, now we know the grind of being a pro ball player and what it takes. And once in a while, you'll see that success story of that 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 journeyman minor leaguer that that gets that call at 27, 28. For me personally, because I didn't travel that route, but those are always really makes me smile, those success stories, because I know what it takes. You know what it takes in the minor leagues and how big of a grind that is. And it cracks me up when the public perception is big league level, but the public perception, oh, these athletes are overpaid. And and I want to take a step back and um, but it was, uh,
0: you know, that, that, that first year, that first 18 months till, you know, as I kind of, you know, kind of swam around kind of making decisions on what I was going to do. I mean, it was hard. And I, I think, you know, a part of it, when I went back into the minor leagues, I mean, look, uh, you know, I, I, I've sort of looked at a career that I was a player. I was a coach. I was a manager. I was a winter ball manager. And then I went to the big leagues as a manager and a coach. But through all of that, you know, sort of road, um, probably the most fun was obviously being a player. The second most fun was being a coach or a manager. And if I had to pick it, I'd probably had more fun in the minor leagues than I did in the big leagues. And, you know, the minor leagues, but you you just explained it right. You've got, you know, the young hotshot players, you've got the uh, you know, sort of the guys that were hanging on. I remember, you know, I had Casey Candale when I was a GM. I had Casey Candale at thirty-seven. And, you know, Casey had been in the big leagues and he said, Johnny, he said, you're going to have to pull this uniform off me. He said, I'm not giving it up. And here's a guy that, you know, I mean, I looked around or Ronnie Washington. I got him in AAA, you know, after he had six, seven years in the big leagues. I mean, you, you really, you know, for me, I, I've always felt that the game is about the players. And I think ultimately, you know, whether you've got a double A tops, which is what you say, maybe that's where this guy's going to level out. Um, you know, these guys were out there on, you know, summer nights, long bus rides, you know, playing their hearts out, trying to win a pennant or, you know, I mean, it, this was it was a blast, you know, in small ballparks and, you know, in, intimate, you know, sort of middle America. Um, look, I, I, I had a blast. And, you know, you're right. There wasn't a lot of money, um, but there was a there was a whole lot of fun that was had. It was a much easier you know, joyful, sort of the game is pure, you know, everybody's hungry, everybody's grinding for the same goal. Um, You know, that was, uh, that was such a great, like, period in my life, um, you know, to be there and some of the, you know, the, I was in the Appalachian League and the Carolina League and the Eastern League you know, the Southern League, the International League. I mean, all those, you know, winter ball. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, you you saw what was happening. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, in today's world, you know, I mean, again, you know, the game is about the players. And, you know, we can – I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about today's player, you know, and who they are. But I think at the end of it, you know, I mean – you know, these guys put in the time, they put in the work and, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about baseball where you've got to sort of, it's almost a level by level, you know, you've got to learn, you might have all the talent in the world, but there's a learned piece that you have to do and you've got to succeed at, you know, almost each level to fully develop. And, you know, that's, uh, that's what really separates, you know, this game, but, you know, for a guy like me in today's world with sort of my background, Um, I think it would be hard for, you know, for somebody to reach out and, you know, say, move somebody to the front office, um, you know, into into a GM job uh, that, you know, in today's world, you're and I was probably, you know, one of the first guys to start hiring, you know, maybe uh, guys with different skill sets. But I I think it would be hard to take a guy with a, you know, with a field background, um, you know, in today's world. But, you know, for me. Um, when I crossed over to the front office, I was probably, you know, late thirties, early forties, right around there. Um, you know, I mean, it, it was, it, it, it worked so well for me because I could relate to players. I mean, I lived in the locker room. I understand stood what they went through. I, I could relate to the coaches because I'd been one. I could relate to the managers because I'd been one. And I think the ability to, you know, to, you know, with, with the clubs that I had, there was a, there was a a real relationship um, with the players. I think that they could trust me. They understood that I understood what their world was like, what they were going through. And I think, you know, what sort of rang their bell. And I I guess, Brett, all of those years of, you know, sort of beating around the bushes, you know, when the, the big opportunity came um, you know, I felt that, you know, I was ready in an area that meant the most. Um, you know, for me, which was, you know, getting the players right, understanding the players. I wasn't ready in, you know, how to be an office guy. I wasn't ready. in, you know, in a lot of those ways, I learned that, Um, you know, I learned how to become, you know, effective in those roles. But, you know, I never lost that sweet spot, uh, even to this day on, you know, what's, you know, what's the player going through, because at the end of it, if you get good players and you you know makeups and you know intangibles of players, and you combine those, I tell you you're, it's going to be hard to lose. And you do that with the people you hire, from managers to coaches, um, to your scouts, to your you know all the people that create an organization and create a culture within an organization, it, it's it's about people. And you know at the end of it for me, you know, being a minor league manager, you know, running around all over, you know, running academies and camps, you learn about people and you learn about talent, you learn about skill and you learn about makeup. And, you know, those are the things that sort of bake into the cake with the player. You know, I mean, look, I'm, you know, I love, you know, all the the new data that you have. And, you know, I love the people that can, you know, regurgitate the, you know, the numbers. And I like the, the new way that people can learn how to effectively get that data across. But, At the end of it, it, yeah, make no mistake, it's, you know, it's still, you know, it's still a real people game and a relationship and, you know, an understanding how to get the most out of people sort of business. It really is.
1: Interesting. You you talk about, um, it's all about the player. And we had Donald fear on the program recently. And he said something that was real simple. And he said, Brett, It's very simple. And and this is Donald Fear speaking. He said, I learned in all my negotiating uh, sessions, he said, you could change out all the the executives, all the on-field coaches and managers, and no one would care. He said, but if you change out those players... To, to you know the 850 major yeah. league players, you change those out for the second best 850 players in the world, and you're going to have a big problem. And 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 he said he he realized that at uh, at an early stage in his MLB negotiation life. And it is interesting; it is all about the players. Another thing that that I found very interesting that you that you just spoke to was. You had all those experiences. You know, we all go through life and and as we get older, we experience more things and, and we become wiser. You had a lot of those things at an early age. You had been drafted. You'd been an All-American in college. You'd been drafted. You'd been released. You have coached at high school. You coached winter ball. You had all these different experiences. So when a player came to you and said, Johnny, you just don't understand. Oh, no but I do because <laughs> I've done that. I've done that. I've, you know, you had an answer for everybody, which must've been pretty cool at an early age. Uh, you also mentioned T- Tom Giordano, who is kind of legendary in the game. They called him T-bone. I think he's been a big part of your life throughout your life and, and you can get to him at, at, at your peril, but you go to the, uh, the Baltimore Orioles and from 82 to 88, uh um, you coach in the minor leagues there. You end up being in 1988. You're the third base coach uh, for the Orioles, which leads you into the Indians. Uh, you become special assignment scout, and we'll get to that. But how were those years in the minor leagues, and and how did that get get you to that Indians position in '89?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's great because um, you know I, I started in Bluefield, um, and I, you know I mean look, I was a You know, I mean, when people sort of look at you with a long eye when you come in, you know, they have, you know, Bluefield, you get all of your recent drafted guys. I had I remember having Billy Ripken. I, you know, I had some good, nice young players that came in. But, you know, that first year in Bluefield was, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I came in with, you know, a little different ideas. And, you know, it, it took a little while, I think, for the maybe some of the veteran um you know, if you will, sort of evaluators, uh, farm directors, different guys to sort of get the field. But, um, you know, I mean, I just went in and, you know, said, Hey, we're, we're here to play. And, you know, we, uh, we won a pennant that year. Um, and, uh, won the Appy League championship. I got promoted to Hagerstown. I was there for a year and a half. Uh, my roommate, um, in spring training was a dear friend, a great guy, Grady Little. Uh, who went on to manage, you know, in the big leagues too? But Grady was a Double A manager. I was the A ball manager. They were struggling in Double A, and they made the switch. It was very hard for me because, you know, we were buddies. But there it is. He said, "You're going up and manage the second half in uh, in uh, Charlotte." And we ended up winning the pennant there. We beat Charlie Manuel and the Orlando Twins uh, in a in a in a playoff game to get in, and ended up winning the pennant there. And Uh, went to Rochester, had two years in Rochester, had two great seasons up there. And, you know, in the meantime, I was managing winter ball in the winter. Um, you know, I had a young family, but, you know, at the end I'd sort of pack up in February and I'd go to spring training. I'd go do the season. I'd take, you know, maybe three or four weeks and then I'd go right to winter ball and manage winter ball. I mean, it was like, Hey, you know, this is my time. I got to make it happen. And, uh, I was in the Dominican, a little uh, place called San Pedro, uh, with the Astros Orientales, we ended up winning um, down there. So it was, you know, I mean, I, I kind of go and, you know, this is this is pretty good. And uh, so uh, Cal Ripken uh, was the uh, the manager. He had uh, uh, was the manager. Cal Senior was the manager in Baltimore. Called me in winter ball, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm I'm I want you to come up and be my third base coach. So you know, I was the the third base coach uh, for the Orioles in '88. Um, and you know, it's interesting because before that, uh, Hank Peters, who had been in Baltimore as the GM, um, was fired and went to Cleveland and Hank called me while I was in winter ball, right about the time that, you know, I was, I mean, I was, I've been the third base coach and I had another year on my deal. And, but Hank called me and he said, look, I've taken this job. I, I want you to, if you can get a flight, meet me in the Miami airport and I'll get you back for the game at night. So I jumped on a flight, and I'm thinking he's going to hire me as the manager. And so I fly up uh, from San Pedro, um, from the Dominican, up to Miami, meet him in the airport for an hour and a half, and he said, "John, I'm going to offer you an opportunity to come in here and be, you know, my assistant. Um, and you know, are you going to start you out in, um, you know, as a as a scout? But I want you to learn the game off the field." He said, "I think you've got the qualities." And I mean, I'm sitting there with my, you know, I mean, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I never thought about ever leaving, taking the uniform off and leaving the field. And, you know, I, I, I sort of hemmed and hawed around and Hank said, well, think on it. But he said, I'm going to tell you this. He said, you, he said, you're going to manage, you're going to be a nice manager. But he said, as a manager, you are always reliant upon the decisions that are made above you. You are not the guy you're going to make your decisions, you know, um, with your team and with that 25 man. But he said the, the ultimate baseball job is the GM because you can hire the staff You hire the scouts, you draft your players, you make your trades, you sign your free agents, you, you know, you, you put your club together. He said, it is the the ultimate baseball job. So I flew back to Dominican, called a couple of guys and they said, are you out of your mind? Take that job. And so I sort of, Brett, I sort of reluctantly, you know, sort of left the field, you know, and thinking that this was what I was going to be. I'd been on a fast track to manage in the big leagues. Um, and, you know, the next thing I know, I'm, you know, taking off my uniform and putting on a, you know, a sports shirt or a suit and tie and I'm starting the, uh, starting the role as a GM. So, you know, the, I, again, it was, you know, for whatever reason, Hank Peters saw something that he thought would translate, um, you know, from the field to the front office and, you know, he hired me. And uh so I, you know, I, I guess the, you know, the this, this seven, eight years I spent, you know, managing in the minor leagues and winter ball and all those, you know, all those those teams. And, you know, that that sort of prepared me for, you know, the next, you know, the next stage. And, and you know, it's funny and I'm going to say this, too, that if I had to rank, you know, all the things, you know, as far as the fun meter, you know what I'm saying, Booney, about the fun meter, how much joy you're getting, you know, out of yeah. life. You know, the, uh, the number one on the fund meter is playing, and number two was managing, and number three, believe it or not, for me, by a long shot, third on the fund meter was being a GM. Um, and, and it just so happened that, you know, that was what I was best at. You know, when it was all said and done, I mean, that's where, you know, I sort of made my mark um, was as a GM. But as far as, you know, the day-to-day joy, you know, it, the, the, believe me, it's as a player or it's as a coach or a manager that, you know, the the obligations and the responsibility that you feel the, um, you're sort of the, you know, the guy for so many people. And if you're conscientious, which I am, and I, I mean, you kind of wear that all the time. You're always, you know, there's always issues. There's always problems. It's, you know, it's always bigger than you are. And, you know, so, you know, you kind of, you know, it's a 365, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week sort of a job to where you're constantly on, and, you know, there's just no downtime. So, um, but that's kind of how, you know, I sort of kind of slid my way, um, you know, from, you know, from all those years on the field and the, the joy that I had, you know, those years in Baltimore. Um, and, you know, so, and, you know, the the, the funny thing was, when I called Hank to agree to do this, um, uh, he called Baltimore and Baltimore said, uh, no, we're not going to give permission because you have to call and ask for permission. And, you know, usually you get permission for a, a, a move that's up. And Baltimore said, no, we're not going to do it. Um, I had another year left on my contract. And I, it, you know, Hank called me back. He said, John, you know, Baltimore is going to hold you to this deal. They're not going to let you go. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, you're going to get a call. The owner at the time was a guy by the name of Edward Bennett Williams. Um, You know, he was a big trial attorney in Baltimore. And uh, he said, you're going to get a call from EBW. Well, he called me, um, you know, about a couple of days later. He said, John, I know you're disappointed. He said, but I'm just telling you, we got plans for you. You're going to be the next manager of the Orioles. And he said, "We're, you know, we're just going to keep you here. Going to let you groom but you're, you're going to be the next guy. And, you know, that summer, unfortunately, I mean, it was a very sad time, but, uh, EBW had, a, I think he, I mean, he passed away that summer and, you know, so at the end of that year, that's when I left, but I had to stay, I stayed on another year, uh, with the Orioles and, and, and Hank, you know, actually kept the job open for me. So that's, that's, um, you know, that's something I'm sure a lot of people don't really know. <laughs> it was kind of, well, that's kind it. of crazy. Yeah. that,
1: that- that's really interesting too, because like you said, you're kind of a baseball rat. You always had the uni on, Uh, you get this intriguing offer from the Indians. You're kind of going, wait a minute, I'm a field guy, but you're getting advice from, you know, buddies, you're people my buddy. in the industry. This is great. This is a great opportunity for you, John, but you're going, yeah, but I'm a manager. I'm not a GM. All of a sudden, the Orioles are telling you, no, you're going to be our next manager, which you want to do, but <laughs> you're torn. <laughs> and it ends up working out in the long run. And and like you said, you made your mark as a general manager for for a lot of years. Uh, it's just a probably a really interesting Time in your life uh, where you were probably torn, like you didn't know what to do. Like, wow, I really want to manage, but they tell me I'd be better at this. And uh, I guess things worked out for you. But <clears throat> in ninety, you're you're for two years, you were the director of baseball operations for the Indians. Ninety-one, you finally get that shot. You're you're hired as general manager of the Indians. You do that until uh, two thousand one, <clears throat> and that was an interesting time in in Cleveland you know I look at your ball clubs in Cleveland and in the early 90s you know I came up with Seattle but I I played uh with the Cincinnati Reds for five years and you know we're right next door so I had my eye on you guys and those great players and I remember you know Albert Bell who was my favorite all-time hitter I could just watch him hit all day you mentioned Omar Vizquel he had a young Sandy Alomar a young Jim Tomey Lofton you know I remember Juan Baerga uh you know the other Alomar came along later in your tenure, but that was lean times. You're 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 inheriting a team that was 57 and 105. You're playing in that that crappy stadium, that mistake by the lake, uh, soon to be replaced by the Jake in in nine in uh, 1994. But you get the job. You're at the helm. Take me through it.
0: Well. Yeah, at, uh, you're right. We were we weren't very good, and you know there'd been I don't know forty plus years of bad baggage uh, there in Cleveland. I mean they hadn't you know uh, won since '48. They hadn't been to the postseason since '54. And if there was a team that people were looking to think about moving, you know it was the Indians. You know you draw eighty thousand opening day, and you get two thousand a night, and that um, you know in the uh, at, they're there at Municipal Stadium. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, we we realized we were going to do a rebuild and it was going to be, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, and I've been involved with like three or four rebuilds uh, in my career, but the one that was the most fun and that was the least under the, and most under the radar was in Cleveland because we just were able to go out and kind of do whatever we wanted because nobody gave a second thought to Cleveland. In fact, Booney, my first night on the job, first night I get the job, I'm going Uh, I go into Cleveland um, and I, you know, so I'm with the Indians and I I think this was before I got the GM job, but I was, I knew that it was coming, but I, I show up in Cleveland. And by the way, you know, at the time it used to be, you know, with, with Cleveland, I mean, people never liked to go in there. They didn't, you know, it wasn't a cool town and for visitors, it wasn't a, it wasn't a very good deal, but uh, they were doing the premiere for the movie major league and, you know, you had, you know, all the stars are there, Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, Margot Witten. And I sat there and I watched that and I went, you know, it really hit me. I said, if they're going to make a movie about a laughing stock franchise, they're making a movie about the team that I'm about to take over as the GM. So, I, I mean, I looked at it and I kind of, you know, it was a funny movie. We had some fun. We kind of partied a little bit after the thing with the guy. with the, with, But I'm going, man, this is you know, so you know, we, we just did a we just did a total rebuild. I mean, I had great people. I was able to, you know, I mean, I started bringing in. I mean, I had Dan O'Dowd was right next to me. Danny was a you know a, a dear friend, but a great baseball, you know, executive. Uh, I hired Mark Shapiro, uh, Josh Burns. We started getting these young, bright guys in the front office. I put Mike Cargrove, very steady, you know, wonderful manager, dear friend, Buddy Bell. I got it, Charlie Manuel, good staffs. And we just started, you know, getting young players. We started making deals, making trades, traded for Biscale, traded for uh, Kenny Lofton, uh, drafted Manny Ramirez. I went into the, um, you know, went into uh, the Bronx or uh, see Manny play in New York uh, right before the draft. And, you know, I remember my scouting director there, his name was Mickey White. And he said, you know, I mean, it was my first real draft. And, you know, we went and we looked at three or four players during that. He said, I said, well, what do you think? And he said, this is the guy I want. He said, I want Manny Ramirez. And he said, I'm a Pittsburgh guy. If there was ever anybody that, you know, close to Roberto Flamini, this would be him. And, you know, so we sort of, we jumped up and took Manny. I don't think anybody had him as high as we did, but we loved the player. And, you know, so we started, you know, we drafted well, we traded well. Um, we did well internationally. Um, we were involved in the, you know, Joe Carter for Sandy Alomar and Carlos Bayerga deal. Um, you know, we started building it. We had Albert Bell who was a young player in Cleveland, not really in the big leagues yet. So, you know, then we traded, you know, and then we had, we drafted Jimmy Tomey. Um, and so all of a sudden you look up, you know, you know, two or three years down the road, you fast forward, you know, these guys are starting to mature and, you You know, we hit uh, 94. They opened the new ballpark. Uh, We added a couple for the first time ever. You know, we added some free agents. We brought in uh, Eddie Murray Uh, from my Baltimore days. I knew Eddie. We needed some leadership on that young team. I brought in Dennis Martinez, Oral Hershizer, brought in some veteran pitchers. Um, You know, we built a really good bullpen. I always felt even then the strength of all of those Indian teams on the pitching side was always the bullpen. And we put together a you know a killer team, and you know all of a sudden that thing you know turned around in a hurry um, because we had really great young players. We played them all. We lost you know for a year or two, but we just com- we committed to those kids and just went and played them. Kept coaching them up, kept teaching them. Um, then we got them a little bit of help with some uh, with some veteran guys, and we put a run on in Cleveland that you know was probably the you know. I mean, next to the seven or eight years I spent in the minor leagues were probably the most fun that I've ever had in the game. I mean, you know, the excitement in Cleveland, the you know, the hunger for winning. Um, Cleveland turned out to be such a great town uh, with so many, I, you know, just so many wonderful people that are there. It's like a smaller town. And, I mean, we, we sold out the stadium in Cleveland. You know, we sold out the stadium, you know, first middle of January. I mean, you couldn't get a ticket. It was like the hottest ticket in town, year after year after year. We kept putting out great, exciting teams, guys that loved to play. We were a very close-knit group. You know, we kind of were all young together. And, you know, it was, a, it was just an absolute blast, uh, you know, building those teams, you know, I mean, you know, getting – I mean, having really great players um, and at the same time having a, a staff of people that, you know, I just love to be around. I mean, you know, I always tried to hire guys that had a different skill set than I do. You know, my skill set was more field, you know, player-centric sort of. And, you know, I was, I mean, I hired a lot of smart, a lot of guys, a heck, a lot smarter than I was um, that to, to come in there that could do things that I couldn't do. And, you know, we, we put together, I mean, a killer front office. We had a great group teaching these young players in the minor leagues. And, you know, we had uh, scouts that were passion. Um, I mean, it was, a, it was just a blast. It was a great group. And, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm, as, I'm, I'm probably as proud of as any is that uh, I think out of our shop in the front office, we ended up with eight guys that went on to become general managers, which, you know, to me was a, you know, I mean, it just showed what kind of depth chart we had there, what kind of guys we had. Um, you know that we were able to bring in as young guys and um, you know they obviously were given you know a lot of responsibility and they took the took charge and you know ended up going on and becoming you know successful executives on their own so anyway it's um you know it was a uh, it was it was kind of a um, uh, it was a fun story because you know Cleveland had been so bad for so long and then to, all of a sudden Cleveland became you know, sort of the beast of the American League. And, you know, it was it was a lot of fun.
1: It was a lot of fun. Definitely the who's who. I mean, people don't understand during those years. There were so many players that went through there that went on to be stars with other ball clubs. You know, we even got into the, the Bernitzes of the world or the Richie Sexons and the, you know, the Giles. I mean, those guys were just footnotes and went on to be stars in their own element. I want to talk about uh and, and this is a time that, that we were neighbors in Florida where you, you still currently reside. And it, it was kind of a a different time. You started, you were the pioneer of this. I remember because I remember talking to you in the offseason. And I was a young player at the time with the Cincinnati Reds. And I see this this GM, Johnny Hart in Cleveland, doing all these deals and giving Jim Tomey uh, Millions of dollars before his time came up, you know, and the rest of us are making 109 and then 175. And <laughs> Tommy's getting this deal now. Now, uh, Sandy Alomar gets a deal, and uh, Manny Ramirez, he gets by, he gets bought out of a few years of arbitration. And I remember telling my, my GM at the time, Jim And I said, Jimmy, why don't you do what Hart's doing and give me that four year deal right now? And uh, I remember. Tell me how you came up with that. You are the pioneer of it. They, you know, they give guys now Friedman with the Dodgers that that he's reinventing the wheel, buying these guys at arbitration. I said, John Hart's the guy. He started it all. Uh, tell me how that idea came to you, and and how you kind of started a movement there in the early nineties.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's a great point because um, you know we were a small market club, and I think. You know, in the early 90s, um, you know, you, you started to see, you know, some real disparity. You know, you always had the Yankees were always a rich club, but you started to see sort of the, the clubs that really had a lot of money. And it was easier for them to um, to, number one, retain their stars um, and go through arbitration. And two, it was easier for them, obviously, to go out in the free agent market. And so for us, you know, we looked at the arbitration process. And, and quite frankly, I, I looked at, at, at sort of our closest neighbor were the Pirates. And I sort of watched, you know, as we were building this, I kind of watched what went on in Pittsburgh. If you remember those Pittsburgh teams in the early 90s, they had Doug Drayback, they had Barry Bonds, they had Andy Van Slyke. I mean, they had this, you know, core of really, really good players. And they had some great teams. Um, The problem was they couldn't keep them. You know, the arbitration started going up. And, you know, they sort of, you know, you you sort of saw that club, you know, become dismantled. And um, we went to an arbitration hearing, uh, one year with um, I think it was Tom Candiotti. I, I I'm not sure uh, who who it was, but we went in there and and I've been to a couple. And I you know again I, I'm if you go back I'm a relationship guy. I mean I love my players, but you go into the arbitration setting back then. You know people get their feelings hurt. You had to come in and you would we hire an attorney. He'd come in and he attacked the player, and the player would come back and whoever won won, whoever lost, but the player would be not happy. You know, haven't heard all that and you know so I, I didn't a like the process and B. I didn't like the fact that you know either you, you we were in a small market and we just weren't going to be able to retain our players. So we came up with an idea and in my first year we pitched it to the owner. We said, look, I mean we think we have some good players. we realize there is inherent risk because of what these young talented players that maybe have a year's service or you know, a year and a half or a half a year service. But we think that if we can put this core together, keep it together, we can, we can, you know, we can fix our, our costs. We, we we realize the risk we're taking, but we think that we can keep something here longer and make it special. In fairness to my owner, his name was Dick Jacobs, great guy. You know, he signed off on it. And I remember you know, one spring, we ended up the first spring, we did it, and I forget what year it was, it might have been 92 or 93, my really first full year, second year on the job. And we signed like 13 players, um, you know, to multi year deals. And what we did was, you know, we would always look to, you know, buy out a year of arbitration, maybe two, uh, we'd overpay in the early years, and then we would kind of you know, and, and we'd give bonuses. And, you know, at the end of it, most of them worked. Some of them didn't. Um, but at the end of it, what we also did, because in Cleveland, um, I, I mean, if you realize this, Cleveland used to be a revolving door. And what we would do is that we would require, if they bought, if, if, if they signed this deal, if we offered it to them and they signed it, they had to buy a house in Cleveland. didn't mean they had to live there but they had to buy a house. So, you know, all these guys were buying houses in neighborhoods and they were becoming a part of the community. I mean, it, it sort of is one of those things that just worked beautifully. They almost all became really great players. They all felt, you know, I mean, everybody got ahead of the game. I mean, these guys secured their future, you know, before they were, you know, a second-year player. And we secured, from a club's perspective, we secured cost-certainty and that allowed us to take a limited dollar amount that we had in a small market and be able to go buy some free agents to supplement it. And, you know, bang, off we went and it took off. I remember this, that, um, I had a, um, uh, there was a general manager then that I had a great respect for. His name was uh, Fred Clare with the Dodgers and Fred, um, you know, had sort of, you know, taking me under his wing liked me. And, and I remember when we made that announcement, uh, the first call I got, was for Fred Claire. And Fred's conversation went something like this. He said, John, are you out of your mind? You know what you've just done? You know, he said, you, "You why not wait it out? And he gave me all the reasons why this was a foolish, sort of risky thing to do when we had the time to determine the value of the player. And I, I you know, my and I understand the risk we're taking, but I said, the difference is you're in Los Angeles, we're in Cleveland. And I said, you have money, we don't. And at the end of it, I I, I would love to be able to do what you do and be able to make sure on players, but we're not, we're not, you know, we're Cleveland. We're, we come from the different side of the tracks and, you know, it, 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 it's, it's sort of, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And, you know, if we were going to If we had all of these young players, all I had to do was look right across the border into into Pennsylvania and look at what happened to the Pirates, and I said, we're not going to let that happen here. And I think the last piece of it is that, you know, again, you know, back to the minor league days, you know, I had a pretty good sense of the talent of the players, the makeup and the heart, the want to, the drive, the determination, the will to win of the players we had. We had some prickly guys. Guys didn't have, you know, they weren't the media darlings. But I'm going to tell you what: I knew these guys wanted to be stars. They wanted to win. They cared greatly. They're, I mean, you—if you look at it, we didn't offer any of these deals to people that were, you know, going to going to lay down on the job. Uh, you mentioned Albert Albert Bell. Albert, you know, listen, from seven to 10, I loved Albert. We, I, Albert and I had some issues from 10 till seven. You know, it was, you know, some players are just different. But I can say this in the eight years that I had AB, Booney, I never saw him give away an at bat. Not one. Games 10 to nothing out. You know, it's a rainy night. It's, you know, nobody in the state. This guy never gave an at bat away. And, you know, it's kind of the, you know, you look at makeup and I go, you know what? I like that makeup. He may not be, you know, I may not be best friends with his cat, but I love that makeup. And this guy's a player. And, you know, so that's kind of the, you know, the five minute version of, you know, how we, you know, how we did that. And I think that perpetuated our run in Cleveland. We sort of had that run from 94 through 2001. And I think without, you know, having, if you will, sort of that cost certainty on the good young players that we'd acquired, that it all came up together. We probably don't have that run or it's not as long.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Albert. He's, uh, we had him on the show about a month ago. He's still to this day, you know, cause he kind of, he, he kind of disappeared and he just, you know, he had that hip injury and, uh, retired from baseball. He's one of the best haters to this day. I've ever seen played against as far as you you talk about not giving away at bat what a pro I mean I'm talking from getting the runner over to hitting the sack fly when you needed a sack fly and you know we all know the other numbers one of the greatest not only one of the greatest run producers of our time one of the greatest run producers in the history of our game uh and a a fascinating guy
0: yeah, you know what, you're right, because I remember, you know, he and Frank Thomas were right there together as who, is, who Who do you like better. I think Albert's injury obviously kept him out of the Hall of Fame, but if you look at that run that he had, you know, I don't know, eight or nine years. It's ridiculous. Mean, you know, I mean, it's just insane. If you go back and pull up the back of his baseball card a strike in a strike-shortened season in 94, he has 50 homers, 50 doubles, in 144 games. Um, you know, I mean, this guy, you know, you put he, Manny Ramirez, Tomy, you know Eddie Murray, these guys in the you know Le- a Lofton of this scale, you put those guys in a lineup and you put Ducks on the pond with a B, you know they're in. I mean this guy this guy was a he just a great hitter, um you know fierce competitor in the in the box. Um, and you know you look at guys like the younger players coming in. They were a couple of years behind him where Manny and Tommy, you know these guys started out hitting like seventh and eighth in the lineup for a year or two. Um, and, but, you know, you, you, listen, these guys are, you know how it goes. I mean, players are going to watch a of other guys. You, you, you're, you're looking up as a young player coming in and you're watching Albert bell and you're watching, you know, Eddie Murray, you know, you're going, Hey man, you know? Um, so you're right. He was, uh, he was pretty special. And I think without that injury, you know, he's, um, you know, this guy certainly was had hall of fame kind of numbers. No question.
1: 94 Jacobs field comes, um, you know, we talked about that completely changed the complexity of that entire city. You went from, you mentioned 80,000 opening day, 2000 on any given day during the week at the old stadium. <laughs> now you're selling out and I don't know how many years in a row you sell out, but it was, it was the hot ticket. It was, the Cleveland Indians were the Atlanta Braves of the national league and that nineties run they had, um, it was the who's who, the, the players, I mean, the, the amount of players you had, the amount of star power he had was unbelievable. 94 is when you turned it around, though. That was a strike-sorting season. Another thing, what well, I won't spend too much time at Alberts. Yeah, and that's the year we were going to win the World Series. And I talked to Larry Walker in, in – uh, and he was telling me that Montreal team, if you remember, they, they had a great, they had a great year that year. They were going to win the world series, but I'm sitting there in Cincinnati. We were wire to wire too. I was going to win the world series that year too. So we're all going to win it that year. But you know, that's the year that (laughs) there was no world series. So it was interesting, but from 94 to 01, you know, you win the division, I think seven times, six or seven times Uh, you have, Two appearances in the World Series. 95, uh, you played the Braves. 97, you played the Marlins. Unbelievable run you have. Do you ever look back and say, would you have done anything different? With all those great teams, you never won that World Series. I look at the Braves team, and I'm in awe, just being a a player – that played against those 90s Braves team with Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin. Every time I'd go there, I shake my head to this day. They only won one World Series. And I just think with that, I don't know how, you know, it kind of puts in perspective how hard it is to win a World Series. You know, people win a World Series. and They think, oh, great year. I'm thinking, no, not great year. You don't understand. I've been on some great teams this is really hard to win a world series. A lot of times it's right place, right time. But do you look back at those years in Cleveland and think, Nope, we did everything exactly how I wanted to do it. And we just never got over that hump because it is so hard. Or do you look back and go, Nope, if I could do it all over again, I would have tweaked this a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a, such a great question. I mean, you know, we all look back at our lives on do overs and, You know, I mean, everybody. You've got, you know, boy, you, you know, sometimes you said the wrong thing or you did the wrong thing and you feel bad about it and you'd love to have a do-over. I, I think uh, I'm going to preface this by saying, um, you know, I, I I think part of a GM is that you know you you wear a lot of hats. You obviously wear the hat where you, you know, you, you you relate with the players, you relate with the manager and the staff, and then you take off that hat and you relate to the owner. And I think in Cleveland, you know, we were. You know, even though we were selling out in Jacobs Field, we still were, we went from a tiny small market to a mid-sized market. And my owners, you know, I mean, they, you know, he was generous and he didn't want to make money. Um, you know, it wasn't like he said, we're going to, you know, and we're going to count on the postseason and we're going to make money. But he said, I-, I don't want to lose money. And he said, the other thing is that I, I want to provide something for our fans who they've been desperate for so long I, I want to, you know, sustain success. It's not, he said, John, I just want you to know this is not a win at all costs. You know, if we're good enough to win it, we, we win it. And, you know, when we had that run, um, there were a couple of times when maybe I could have pulled the trigger on a deal um, that in the short term might have been the difference for us, um, but it may have punished us or my way of thinking at the time, it might have punished us um, if we were going to do what the, you know, what dick and, and ownership wanted to do, which was to sustain success within certain financial parameters, I, I had a couple of opportunities. Um, you know I, I think first of all, you know, I mean look, we go into the ninth inning of game seven of the World Series with the lead and end up losing it uh, to the Marlins. I mean so there they're very easily could have been i don 't think there was anything that as a club or as a decision that you made in that one that didn't work. Uh, The 95, um, you know, we got, you know, Tom Glavin goes out and, you know, throws a jewel, um, you know, against us in, um, you know, in in game six. And, you know, you go, I mean, we just got beat. It wasn't like, it wasn't the personnel. Um, We did build clubs that got us to the postseason. I I think the thing that we always missed there, uh, Booney, was that number one ace. Um, we, we could never develop it. Um, you know, I, I, I thought we had a chance with Jared, Wright. Uh, I thought we had a chance and we did eventually with Bartola Cologne, you know, coming through our system, but we were never able to go get the big ACE. We couldn't, you know, we just couldn't compete financially with some of the other markets when, you know, say a Clemens came out or a Randy Johnson came out, but I did have a couple of opportunities to, <clears throat> to make a deal for an ACE pitcher. Um, that I eventually didn't do. We had a chance in, you know, the year that Randy Johnson got traded from Seattle to Houston. um, You know, we were real close. It was when the deadline was at midnight. And um, I I think that, you know, the trade, uh, he ended up getting a better deal, um, you know, from uh, Houston than he did for us. And, you know, you always look back and you said, if I would have put this player in the deal or that player in the deal, you know, we could have had Randy Johnson for two month a two month rental, and as good a teams as we had, you know, because we were going to score runs. I mean, we, you know, if we didn't score a thousand runs a year, we weren't happy. But I think having that one ace, um, and I think the other one that I the uh, the uh, I think the second one, and I'm not saying this is a do over, but uh, the year that Pedro got traded to Boston. Uh, it was funny. I was on the network uh, a couple weeks ago um, talking to Pedro about them. He kept saying, "I kept thinking I was going to Cleveland. I wanted to go to Cleveland." But at the end, we had just come off the World Series, um, and you know, I knew Bartola Colon and Jared Wright were two very—they were young, affordable, future number one kind of starters—and you know, one or both of those guys was going to have to be in the deal. Um, and I ended up you know, I backed off of that deal and, um, you know, and I would have had Pedro for a period of time, but I had these guys for like five years, six years. I could have had Pedro, I think for two and we ended up not doing the deal. And so, you know, you look back and say, you know, not maybe getting, um, you know, that number one starter, you know, that, that sort of bell cow that can go out and, you know, can win game one of a, of a, of a world series or a postseason, you know, but I, I tell you, we've, You know, we I mean, we just you know, we kept getting to the American League championship. We we got deep in the postseason a lot, almost every year. And at the end, you know, my owner, that was that was kind of the way he wanted that franchise to be. And, you know, I think he would have approved the deal. But, you know, in the back of my mind. So it was a it was a hard thing, you know, right now. You Know if I had to do over again, I'd trade for both of them and see where it happens, you know, see see how it went, you know. But, um, we didn't do it, so there we go. But I let me put it this way I don't lose any sleep over the run we had and the fact that we're not, you know, we're not World Series champion. I mean, I can tell you the heartbreak we had in Miami, um, you know, and, and it's funny because, and I, 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 you'll appreciate this because we, we get we're. We leave Cleveland after game five after losing a, a heart I mean a tough loss and we go down there and we're drawing their ace, Kevin Brown, in game six against Chad O. J., who is our fourth starter. It looks like a mismatch, right? We beat Kevin Brown two to one. And Chad O. J. goes and just I mean, just shoves for like six or seven innings. We eke a couple runs out against Brownie and now we're sitting there staring game seven right in the right in the face and we've just beaten their ace so uh, you to your point in postseason you just never know you just never know the Boone podcast continues with our two-part special podcast please download and listen to part two of our podcast right now on whatever platform you listen to the show